I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. I'm your host, Mark Daly, and it is Thursday, November 12th, 2020. Well, technically for a couple more hours. We're one of the last time zones, obviously, here on the west coast of North America. And, well, as I sit here, we're only about three minutes, sorry, three minutes, pardon me, three hours and 45 minutes away from FP1 at the Intercity Istanbul Park, which is the, the host of this weekend's Turkish Grand Prix. And really looking forward to seeing this one back uh, for, for this year. Of course, it's been almost a decade since the last time we raced in Turkey. 2011 was the last uh, Turkish Grand Prix, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Uh, Obviously, I've already mentioned it twice in this opening monologue, and we're barely even a minute into the show. But uh, that being said, it is... uh, I have to admit that I'm having a little bit of... What do you want to call it? Foreboding gloominess... I guess you could say that uh, something like that at any rate. It's my my sort of typical mood that I get to at this time of year when I look at the calendar and realize that the end of the season is just around the corner. I've really become used to these double and triple header weekends that we've had uh, so many of this year. And this past weekend, not having a Grand Prix to look forward to, I mean, I had plenty of other things uh, to to do, to to enjoy and uh, keep myself occupied. But it certainly felt funny that there there wasn't uh, a Formula one race this past weekend. And we've had plenty of weekends off ever since we got going somewhat uh, delayed back at the, the the start of July, but still it felt a, a little bit odd, but uh, glad that we still have several races uh, to go. We're slowly ticking them off uh, the list as we get uh, towards the season finale in Abu Dhabi in just about a month from now. And it is kind of funny though, the way that Formula One is. It seems that it, the season seems to last like a very, very long time, which of course it does. It starts in the middle of March, goes to the end of November in a normal year. And then it seems that once you get to, into the beginning of December, you know, you get towards the holiday season, you're kind of distracted with other things. And then you kind of realize that you have this window of about three months of no Formula One racing. But it seems like once you get past New Year's and you hit some of those milestones in, you know, after New Year's Day, like President's Day and whatnot, and you, you realize that that once you get to the middle of February, that you're coming up on winter testing in Barcelona. And then that's when, for me, you know, you, you really kind of get that real feeling, that sense again, that once you get to Barcelona for that, uh, for, for the tests, that the, the first Grand Prix is just uh, really around the corner. And uh, we're going to talk all about that because uh, the provisional calendar was re- released a couple of days ago. They're talking about trying to get some fans, well, a lot of fans into uh, to, to see the Australian Grand Prix in, uh, in March 20. 
2021. And well, cross fingers and let's hope that it's actually possible. But there is a lot to talk about uh, this week. And uh, I'm really looking forward to going over some of these stories. And we're going to start first with the man of the hour, who is usually the man of the hour each and every <laughs> week, month, year. And of course, that is six-time world champion uh, Lewis Hamilton, who has uh, been a little bit uh, frank and opened up a, a little bit uh, this past week just about some of the delays and the fact that there there hasn't been very much discussions between himself and Mercedes about getting a new deal done. And, you know, th- this was just um, further, I, th- I think, exaggerated or a, a, sh- a light was really shone upon it uh, just uh, in the past couple of weeks when Lewis said that uh, he felt uh, that there was no guarantee that uh, he will be in Formula One uh, next year. And of course, when you have a, a driver with the, the um, uh, what do you want to call it, the stature, the, uh, the, the the presence that Lewis Hamilton has, I mean, six-time world champion, obvious, uh, obviously, I mean, he's one of the best drivers of all time, obviously the best driver of this uh, generation. For him to say that there's no guarantee that he's going to be in Formula One next year, regardless if that's going to be a thing or not. I mean, just the fact that that comes out of Lewis's own mouth, those are his own words. Of course, people are going to talk about that. And of course, people are going to sit up and, uh, and take notice because for Lewis to walk away would make such a huge gap, it would leave such a huge gap in the sport. And obviously, that would be uh, something that uh, would really put... Mercedes into a, a bit of a bind. Anyways, uh, uh, Lewis, uh, he did uh, talk a little bit uh, about it um, the further this week, and he had to say, quote, I believe I have the best contract that there is in terms of how it is uh, structures and in terms of time management. With the team that's put around me, I think it's been great. But I'm always looking to see how we can improve. How can I be more efficient and do more for the partners? How can I posi- my, position myself to do more for the team? Naturally, I think it's easy to go and sign th- that deal and continue not having to think of what's afterwards. And I'm very conscious of the idea that I do want to continue with Mercedes and I would love to help them on this quest in pushing for change. They're talking, taking their cars green and electrifying more and I want to help them with that on the road. I would like them uh, to help them in terms of pushing for diversity because there's also that within the organization and with every organization out there. There's not enough of it, so there's a lot to discuss, a lot to go through. Anyways, uh, Lewis did have to uh, go on and just uh, elaborate a little bit more on the comments uh, that he uh, made uh, just uh, recently. And he said, uh, quote, or he did have to say he was specifically referring to uh, the, the contract uh, situation. Quote, I think it's something we'll do, if not after the job is done, then particularly at the end of the year. But nothing is set in stone. I think it's just about talking about it. And at the moment, I don't feel like I'm finished. I think there's always areas to improve. I love racing. I love the challenge. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. End quote. And, well, I think one of the things that he's talking about there, he says, um, if not after the job is done, is what uh, what he's talking about. Obviously, one of the jobs that Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have wrapped up uh, so far, along with Valtteri Bottas, of course, is the Constructors uh, World Championship. They wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago. And, of course, that was going to be a foregone conclusion after they really raced off into the distance and racked up all the points uh, that they had. I mean, they, they've had no clear competitor often enough uh, this year. I mean, uh, we've seen a couple other race winners here and there, but obviously not uh, not too many. I mean, it's uh, either been mostly Lewis and occasionally, you know, Bottas is always good for a win or two every season. But the other job that is still that, that he needs to get done, of course, is winning the Drivers' World Championship, which, you know, he could wrap up this weekend and it's going to happen. I mean, it's not a question of if, it's been basically a question of when, 
basically, if, if you want to look at it or, or, or take my two cents for what it's worth, I think that he's basically had the, the championship or was his championship to lose since about Hungary when, when Bottas, he had a couple of bad races in there and that the, 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 the gap at the front of the, uh, the, the world championship, uh, really opened up at that point. And, uh, Lewis has just extended it more and more ever since. And, uh, well, if you look at where the, the, the driver's said championship is, uh, right now, it, it really is, uh, it's it's a huge gulf. I mean, Lewis right now, 282 points, uh, Valtteri on 197. I mean, th- th- there's more of a chance that Max will catch and pass Valtteri Bottas for runner-up in the World Championship than there is a, a likely chance that uh, Valtteri will catch up and and pass Lewis Hamilton in the remaining amount of races that uh, that, that we have uh, before we close out the, the, the season. I mean, it's, it's almost 100 points. And, um, I mean, there's like, what, 35 uh, between uh, Max and Valtteri? I mean, that's more of a, a situation to, to, to watch because, I mean, Max could have a couple of good races. What if the unlikely situation or thing happens that uh, Valtteri hits um, some mechanical issues or, uh, you know, he, he doesn't finish a couple of races? That runners-up position could be very much under threat. Uh, but Lewis, I mean, he's been de facto world champion for, for months now. And once you get into the, the, the realm of, well, if this happens, Happens and if that happens and you get some bizarre things, uh, situations happen, then of course, mathematically, Valtteri Bottas still has an opportunity to win the world championship. Practically and realistically speaking, it's not going to happen. But, you know, Lewis being the the the, 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 the pro that he is, he's always focused on the job at hand. And I mean, they talked about it, uh, reminisced about it not so long ago, both uh, Lewis and uh, and uh, Toto Wolf, when they talked about the last time they got the deal done, they said they sat down, they got it worked out in about 10 hours over the course of a day, and then they ordered pizza at the end. I mean, it seems almost insane to think uh, you have a sportsman like Lewis Hamilton at the top of his game in the, the, the premier racing series on the globe, racing for one of the best teams in the world in Mercedes and uh, it sounds so casual oh yeah we just sort of hashed it out over the course of the day and we we, we ordered Pizza Hut at the end of the day of course I'm kind of simplifying but uh, it just uh, it, it seems very unFormula one but I mean the point is that uh, with everything that's been said and everything that uh, you know both from you know speculated on by fans and media and uh, and and Lewis of course throwing out that uh, no guarantee quote that he'd be in Formula one next year of course uh, that, that's uh, created a lot of discussion but if you just look at recent history that uh, as long as Lewis is there and he wants to race and uh, the, the team wants to have him there and of course why wouldn't you I mean Lewis still to- on the top of his uh, game still the best driver in Formula 1 Mercedes has the money to do it and Lewis is entitled to a big uh, payday I mean why not I mean look at what uh, look what his record is and look what he's done for that team and just the the, the prestige that uh, Mercedes has in Formula 1 I mean over this nearly past decade now ever since uh, 2014 okay not quite a decade but uh, I mean the the unprecedented run of championships both in the constructors and drivers world championships that these guys have won is absolutely amazing so Lewis big part of that obvious obviously and he's entitled to a big payday I mean if he ties Michael Schumacher on seven world championships this uh, this year which of course like I said is just a question of time and not if he's going to do it then certainly, I mean, he's in, he's already in elite company as a six time world champion with all the records that this guy holds that, uh, he's entitled to get paid for it. But, uh, anyways, uh, like I th- say, 
I don't think it's a big uh, red flag. I don't think it's a big warning sign that uh, that these two haven't sat down yet and got the uh, got the contract worked out because, like I said, recent history proved otherwise. And I'm expecting that once uh, they get everything sorted out, probably after the season, just judging from some of the things that uh, that, that have been coming out, that's what I'm expecting. They're going to sit down. They're going to get this done, and we're going to see Lewis Hamilton back in Formula One for a couple of uh, years. That that's what I'm expecting. And uh, who knows? The, the, the question for me is not if Lewis Hamilton is going to sign another uh, contract with Mercedes, but is this going to be his last contract in Formula One with Lewis being in his mid-30s now? He's basically wrapped up all the records there is to own in Formula One. I mean, there's very few records that he doesn't hold uh, at this point in time. And uh, he's clearly a guy that uh, that has other interests uh, beyond the sport. And uh, that, that's my big question is how long is he going to stay in Formula 1? He still says it's fun. It's still uh, still a challenge for him. But I have to wonder, after he signs, maybe for a year, two years, whatever it is, is he going to want to sign beyond that? Because like I say, he's already uh, about, uh, you know, what is he, 35 now, mid-30s for sure. So it's uh, just a question of uh, how long do you want to stay in and uh, and try and do more? When, when, do, when does it become too much? Anyways, uh, moving along from that, uh, Jensen Button, former world champion, uh, he had to say that uh, he believes that uh, Formula One needs Lewis Hamilton to be paired with what he calls a more challenging teammate at Mercedes. Uh, before you know, he'll he won't be winning any more world champion or championships. Well, yeah, we tried that before, and with the, <laughs> it wasn't all that long ago. But doesn't any doesn't Jensen remember? And I'm being I'm, I'm saying this tongue in cheek, of course. I'm not being too sarcastic, but uh, that uh, that he was paired obviously for a couple of years with uh, with Nico Rosberg, and that did not go very well. But uh, the the thing is. From Mercedes' point of view, Valtteri Bottas is the ideal teammate. He's going to score a lot of podiums. He's going to help them win a lot of front row lockouts. He's going to uh, score some poles. He's going to win some races. He's going to help them win uh, a lot of uh, you know championships as well, and uh, you know a lot of one-two finishes as well. But the thing is that. Uh, Valtteri on his day, don't get me wrong, is quite capable of matching and beating Lewis Hamilton. There's some tracks where Valtteri is superior than Lewis Hamilton. But the thing is, over the course of a basically a 20 to 22 race season, given, you know, whatever the, uh, you know, the, the year is, in normal years, we're, we're, we're over 20 races. But over that in course of the entire year, Lewis is just that much better on so many more tracks. He's usually quicker in qualifying. I mean, like I say, Valtteri is good for for nicking a pole here and there. He's good for winning a race here and there, but he's not going to be able to do it over the course of an entire season. I mean, we've seen it for the last uh, two seasons in a row. Valtteri wins the first uh, race of the year and kind of uh, kind of sets that uh, expectation. Maybe not the expectation, but uh, the, the the situation that oh well, Valtteri showed up uh, to play this year. He, he's uh, looking good but of course one race is one race and I don't doubt for a moment I'm not questioning the talent of uh, or, or the speed of Valtteri Bottas I think he's a very good uh, racing driver Formula One driver but the thing is that that Lewis at this point is just that much uh, better and of course like uh, Jensen says that, uh, that of course he needs to be paired with a, a more challenging teammate because you know unless you're in one of those silver cars 
the odds are that you're going to be challenging and pushing for a world championship at this point is not very likely. And and we're probably going to see the same situation next year because what with uh, COVID and the, the the new cars now delayed till 2022, that we, we basically have these development of these cars that's been pushed forward for two, three years, right? In a, in a very simple sense at any rate. So of, of course, you know, you you can see the point that Jensen is making that uh, that anybody that's going to challenge Lewis has to come internally. But I think that uh, even though it would be good to see you know have have him paired up with somebody and similar to like a Nico Rosberg, because Nico not as good as uh, Lewis Hamilton, but very capable of beating uh, Lewis on a more consistent and regular basis than 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 Bottas is. But you know, if you flip that around that situation around and look at it from Mercedes point of view and um, this is nothing new we've talked about this on this podcast now for years right ever since uh 2016 when Bottas sorry um Nico Rosberg won his world championship and hung up his racing gloves and helmet at the end of the year and decided that's it guys I won my world championship I'm done I'm out and uh, and Bottas has been there uh, ever since. But from Mercedes' point of view, like I say, I mean, he's going to help them win races. He's going to help them win championships. He's going to help. He's going to score lots of points by getting on the podiums and winning the occasional race himself here or there. But the thing is, he's not going to push Lewis. And I don't ex- ever expect to see in the situation. And I, I don't doubt for a moment that Valtteri will race Lewis Hamilton hard if they came to to wheel to wheel racing. I just could not foresee a situation where it would get as bad between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas as uh, as it did with uh, with uh, with Nico Rosberg. But from Mercedes' point of view, they have no motivation to change that dynamic uh, b- b- between them because Lewis is going to keep winning. He's going to win championships, which is going to ke- keep him happy. Valtteri is going to be there. He's going to help them win world championships on the constructors' side and still win a couple of races here or there each and every year and have the prestige of being a Mercedes. Mercedes driver. So in theory, he's happy. But I mean, of course, he wants to win a championship of his own, but he is the number two driver there. No matter what he does, I mean, unless Lewis walks away and they get in a driver that say a younger driver, say all of a sudden Lewis decided to call it a day and you have Valtteri Bottas and he's partnered up with say, let's take George Russell because he's come through the Mercedes system. He was a reserve driver there last, uh, what was it, two years ago before he was, uh, you know, taken on as a full-time driver as Williams. Let's just say now that uh, that Lewis is out of Formula One, you have a pairing of Bottas and George Russell. Obviously, in that pairing, Bottas is going to be the number one uh, guy. But in the situation with the with the Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton. Well, you know what uh, you know what I'm saying. He's going to be the number two driver. Anyways, uh, Jensen did have to say uh, the the following quote: "Comparing records is a tricky one. We all like a number, and we would like all like to beat a number, but it's really difficult to com- uh, to compare. All you can say is he's done the best job he can, and the team have done a fantastic job. They've not been beaten in the hybrid era, and Lewis has won all but one championship with them. I don't see that changing either. It's going to continue until he stops, or until he gets a teammate that can actually challenge him. He's definitely." learned from his teammates and he's definitely a more rounded driver than when we were teammates but if we had a teammate like Max Verstappen we would see a different driver from Lewis he needs that to have that challenge otherwise he'll just keep doing the same thing and he's going to keep winning uh, the championship he needs somebody that he's going to challenge him and Mercedes you can't blame them because it's easier if they've got one guy who's quicker than the other I know Valtteri gets close in qualifying sometime that qualifies him but race pace compared to Lewis this year he's nowhere near him end quote so there you go 
And of course, uh, if you look further than the headline and you look further than the quotes, Jensen's uh, basically summed up in a, in a nice couple of sentences what, <laughs> what I've gone on and kind of droned on about uh, for, for the past uh, several minutes. But I completely agree with them. And of course, Lewis is a completely different driver than when they were at, uh, at McLaren all those years ago. I mean, Jensen was already a, vet- a veteran driver by that time. Lewis, new to the sport, obviously very talented, but still an up-and-coming driver at that point. And of course, he's learned uh, a lot since then. <laughs> and why wouldn't he? I mean, he's raced in so many Grand Prix now. I don't even know off the top of my head uh, what uh, how many races Lewis has actually con- uh, competed in at this point but interesting thought from Jensen Button nonetheless all right time for a quick break here on the overtime media network and once again I want to talk to you guys about my bookie you have late college ball the NBA bubble UFC fight island it's clear that 2020 has been a year that is completely unlike any other and that's why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. So get some skin in the game today with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there really is no better time to feast on some NFL action. So whether you're a first-time customer or been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer each and every week. So sign up or get reloaded today, find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. MyBookie also boasts a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, MyBookie, the doors never close, so you continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. So make the right right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use my promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in 200 bucks. They'll match you with another 100 bucks in your account. If you're already planning to bet this season, this is just free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come and join in all the fun and win some cash while you're at it at MyBookie. Once again, if you sign up, use promo code OVERTIME to get your deposit matched halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And let's stick with uh, Mercedes. Uh, there's a lot to talk about and break down uh, some of the comments and some of the things we're just uh, talking about. And Total Wolf actually sought the advice uh, from uh, from Alain Prost, who used to be a teammate uh, all those years ago with uh, Ayrton Senna, which I remember from way back in my childhood. Uh, and that's when I really first got into uh, into Formula One in the late 1980s. It uh, really was uh, quite amazing to see these two as a uh, as teammates and we all know some of the things that the famous moments that we saw coming together with uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton uh, spa that one year uh, Spain Austria I mean there, there's numerous examples anyways uh, total went and got the advice from Ella to uh, try and avoid the uh, what, what he called Senna like rivalry issues uh, within uh, Mercedes and of course who else I mean Prost himself is a multiple uh, world champion and uh, of course the the, the rivalry that he had with Ayrton Senna if if you're old enough to remember it was pretty bitter and it was got pretty nasty as well but uh that that uh you know being said after Ayrton was killed at Imola in 1994 Alain was one of the pallbearers at uh, at his funeral but anyways uh Toto uh, said that he actually spoke to the four-time uh, world champion uh, after he took over at uh, Mercedes and he wanted to really find out uh, what some of the issues and what some of the problems were that uh, Prost had with Senna during their big rivalry years at uh, McLaren uh, in the in the late uh, 80s. Anyways, uh, Toto had to say, quote, We have always been very transparent with each other. At the beginning of my stint with the Mercedes, I remember a discussion with Alan Prost. I said to him, what went wrong?
wrong between you and Senna. He said that sometimes we didn't know whether we had the support of the team or not. There was always politics involved. Now, I don't know if that is true because I was not a part of that, and certainly they had a great era. But we don't play politics. We play politics outside, but we don't play any politics inside. I would never permit it. Transparency, being honest with each other, blaming the problem and not the person, and empowering are the values that are the utmost importance to us. That's why it's a good place, a fun place, but also a pushing place, end quote. So, you know, that that is very interesting. And I don't doubt that, that there was a lot of politics at, at play. In, in for, I mean, there's always politics at play in Formula One. Uh, I, I don't think it really matters what year it was. But I think especially back in the 1980s, it was a completely uh, a completely different world. Of course, this is more than 30 years ago now. Uh, <laughs> hate to date myself and make myself like a sad old man, but I guess uh, you can't hide from uh, reality. But uh, anyways, I think it is interesting that, uh, you know, that uh, he did have this, uh, you know, the discussion with uh, Prost uh, a number of years ago. And I think that it is interesting that uh, that he comes out, Toto that is, and said that uh, that one of the things is that uh, that Prost said was that neither him himself or uh, that Ayrton knew whether or not they had the support of the team back in the day. And that that could very well be. I mean, uh, if there is politics, maybe that's the way that they played it. Uh, you know, of course, is uh, you know that's in back of the heyday when Ron Dennis was the, the the big man in charge at McLaren, and they had great cars back then. You look look back at some of those beautiful competitive world beating cars that they had: the MP44, the MP45, the MP46. I mean. Absolutely. I mean, not only were they great cars, I mean, uh, I just uh, salivate uh, every time <laughs> It's my, my heart starts to beat when I look at some of these cars. I mean, they're absolutely gorgeous. The MP44, fantastic car. The MP46, another beautiful car. But uh, I could see that there there might have been a level of uh, paranoia, a lot of stress if you're Ayrton or if you're Alain and you're competitive, you're trying to beat that uh, guy that's sitting across from you in the garage and you know that that guy's just, uh, he's, he's quick. He, you, you probably think you're better, you're quicker than him. But the thing is that, uh, that's your rival and, and, and just not knowing whether or not you had the, the, the full support of the team. I could see that, uh, that, that would really uh, create an added level of stress and, uh, and perhaps anxiety and, and, and paranormal, uh, paranormal paranoia as well. But, uh, I, I think it is very interesting the, the, the quote uh, that, uh, that, uh, that that Toto has to make about transparency, honesty, blaming the problem and not the person, and empowering are the values that are very important to, to, to Mercedes. And you can kind of really get that vibe, at least on, on the outside. And I don't think that, uh, that he's just paying lip service. I don't think that it is... Uh, Toto just uh, just putting these things out there, and I, I don't think that uh, you know it's fake news uh, for uh, lack of a better term. I, th- I think it's it's honest because if you look at it, I mean, there, there's obviously an intensity, and there there is a commitment at uh, at Mercedes. But whenever they win, they look like they are always ecstatic. Uh, everybody in that team, on the pit wall, in the garage, and you see the videos that they have. Uh, you know when when they go back to celebrate in the factory. In their offices, they don't look managed. You know, it all seems very real, very genuine to me. And I, and I think it really comes to a question of leadership. I think that uh, you you set these standards and you have the framework that uh, that your organization uh, operates in. You have these uh, parameters, and I think it really is a trickle down effect uh, from, from above. And uh, we've all had it in our own lives. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure most uh, people who listen to this podcast uh, who are like myself, and sadly, we've never worked in Formula One. But 
I mean, we've all had our share of good bosses and bad bosses, or we've been in a situation where we've been in, uh, you know, we've fallen somewhere in an organization and uh, we've all seen uh, good and bad examples of, of the management, mismanagement and good leadership and, and bad leadership. And I think it's it's very interesting uh, that this uh, quote in this story about uh, Toto talking to Allah and then also kind of, uh, you know, taking the advice or the, uh, you know, the, the, the stories that Alan and had to impart to him to, to to give to him, and 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 take that and in part apply it to what he's uh, doing at uh, at uh, at Mercedes. So sticking with uh, Mercedes, Toto says that uh, he believes that everything has been done by the other teams uh, to to stop them, and he says that they're they're and and this is ominous because he says that uh, that the team is what he says quote fired up uh, to ensure that their dominance does not end in 2022 because he like I said he he said that he believes everything is done by the other nine teams in the the, the Formula and Paddock have done you know, been out there to stop them. And of course they have. I mean, I don't doubt that uh, for 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 a moment. I mean, we've seen teams come close. Uh, we we all know that Red Bull's good for for winning races here and there, but they've kind of been, you know third horse in that race more recently the second horse in that race have we seen a ferrari decline over the past year and a half ago and before that sort of 2016 into 2017 definitely into 2018 ferrari was much more evenly matched uh, a lot closer with the with the with the mercedes you saw that at sort of the end of the rosberg hamilton era at, at mercedes into 2017 winning races 2018, they had a definite shot to win both championships in that year, but of course that got away from it. And I'm not going to get into that one because we've talked about it a, a long time. But the thing is, I mean, everybody's been aiming at uh, Mercedes, and it doesn't matter what that, that's Formula One. It's the same thing if you're the New England Patriots in the in, in the NFL. If you won all these championships, all these Super Bowls, of course everybody's going to be gunning for you. Same in the NBA, same in Major League Baseball. Any other sport in the world, if you're the top dog, everybody's going to come gunning for you at uh, at some point. And the thing is, Formula One is uh, no different. But the thing is that uh, even though that uh, that the other guys are out there to get Mercedes, they're always able to stay that uh, much uh, more further ahead of uh, everyone else. And and I think it uh, th- this year is just that that perfect example is that uh, that you, you've seen that uh, despite uh, Mercedes, uh, you know, having a obviously a very good car once again in the W11 you look at uh, at just down the road that you usually you usually have uh, Lewis then you have uh, Bottas and occasionally that uh, that that's reversed a little bit but then you have uh, Max clearly pushing that uh, that that uh, Red Bull beyond right to the limit of its uh, capabilities i mean there's such a huge gap uh, between uh, Max Verstappen and his his teammate, of course, Ferrari's a bit of a, a non-factor at the moment. But then you look at the other teams, like your Renaults, your McLarens, you know, the the the, the, the teams like that. They're they're sort of and, and the racing points. They're all sort of just behind there. And then you've got Ferrari and everybody else. Uh, you know, your Hasses, your Alphas, and the, the the other teams. Williams all kind of down in that bottom third. But the thing is, you know, the, with 2022 coming up it really is going to change everything we're going into the cost cap era probably we're going into a salary cap era for the drivers as well i mean that so many things are changing we're going to the different sized wheels and tires a different formula we've got new engine regs coming in 2026 but at least in 2022 it's going to be a completely clean slate for everyone and uh, i mean it's going to be new cars a whole new uh, a whole new ball game for lack of a better term but the the, the thing is 
of course, there's going to be some change in the power structure in, in Formula One. Who's going to get it right? Who's going to get it wrong? Or who, let's put it this way. Who's going to get it righter? <laughs> if that's, that's not even a word. But who's going to figure out the, the new regulations more to their own benefit than the other teams? And of course, based on recent history, you have to, you have to expect you, it'd be a safe bet to put your money on uh, Mercedes. Anyways, uh, Toto had the fo- following year, uh, following quote to say, uh, and he said, next year will be a transitional year with the same machines. As I've said before, I expect Honda to give it a big push. And then obviously this big challenge of 2022 is on the doorstep. That will motivate us. Everything has been done to stop us. We will all fight on a level playing field financially and everything is pretty much capped. I'd like to see us continue to perform well, even though the most dramatic uh, regulatory change that has ever happened in Formula One. End quote. And of course, the, he, he's nailed it, right? I mean, he, he's talking about all these things. And of course, if you have more money to spend, you can hire more people. You can invest more money in R&D. You can invest in a, in a, in a wind tunnel, all these, whatever it might be, to, um, to, to really try and get the most out of uh, your, your, your team, out of your car and everything like that. But, uh, you know, regardless if we're going into, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me, into this, uh, this, this new cost cap year or not. It's one thing to have money and it's one thing to throw money around, but it's also a question of how do you spend that money? It's, it's, it's one thing to go out there and just splash it out and hire a lot of people. You have to have a plan. You have to have to structure in place. You have to, you have to invest in the right people. You have to invest in the right equipment and the, the infrastructure and all these different things. And I think that even though obviously Mercedes have a lot of financial resources at uh, their disposal compared to a Williams or a Haas or, you know, teams like that, that uh, it just hasn't been money that's just sort of blindly thrown out there that, uh, you know, they just, uh, you know, they, they just have wildly spent money and gotten a very poor return on their investment. I mean, obviously they, they've done phenomenally well. And the thing is, I, I expect that to, to continue. I don't doubt that the, 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 this new era that we're coming into in Formula One is going to shake things up because there's going to be less money to play with. You know, the, everybody's got to fit within this, uh, this new structure. But the thing is, uh, it will reward teams, I think, more for the for for their ingenuity and being able to do more with less uh, instead of having un- unlimited budgets uh, to to work with. And of course, there are certain loopholes and things like that, which I'm sure will 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 come to light uh, once we get into this cost cap era beyond 2021. And once we it sort of settles into it, we'll really find out uh, that okay, they've got uh, X number of dollars this year because it's going to be on a decreasing scale over the next couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see. How they figure out some of these loopholes uh, in the cost cap and things like that, but uh, certainly I still think that uh, that your big teams, at least from the uh, one thing I think will be in their you know in their benefit, if you're a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a Red Bull, one one of these top teams, is I think that they're always going to be the kind of teams that that will always attract the 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 best the, the the cream of the crop and I'm not saying that for that uh, the other teams that the, the the people that work for them aren't as good quality I'm not saying that at all because they're all if you're in Formula One you're working in Formula One you're obviously a very brilliant uh, and very qualified uh, person the thing is I think when it comes to teams like your Ferraris your Mercedes your Red Bulls is just uh, based on who they are that uh, you know the the odds on that you're going to go to a winner is significantly uh, you know increased so I think that uh, uh, for for lack of a better way of describing it, I think that they'll still have to you know the, that that extra pull to get the 
you know, the, the, the people that they need and the people that they want. And ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to in, in, in this new uh, era is, is, is the workforce, the people that you have in your design offices, in your factories, uh, you know, building and maintaining and designing these cars long before the drivers ever get into it. And it's going to be that human factor that I think that uh, really will make a, a difference. Okay, so it's time for another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Please don't go away. I'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So I want to move away from Mercedes now, which I talked about uh, a lot more than I'd actually intended to. Um, But uh, Formula One is committed to the hybrid engines for 2026 and uh, beyond. I mean, I still think, you know, at some point, the fossil fuel engines are going to disappear, right? I mean, we we hear all these things. I mean, where I live in, in British Columbia... There's been some talk over the past couple of years that they'd like to see an electrif- uh, electrification of uh, you know the vehicle fleet uh, you know completed by uh, 2040. I mean, there's there's a long way to go when it comes to to, to road cars. I mean, where, where I live in this province is fairly small. I mean, they were, you know population wise, we're only about uh, three million people, and I mean most of them live in Metro Vancouver and uh, in, in in the Fraser Valley. I mean that's where the you know the, the majority of the of the population is. So I mean you compare that to like the, the big cities down in the states your LA's your New York's and all these big metropolitan centers it'd be a lot easier for a, you know a, a place where I, I live to electro you know electrify a, a road fleet of cars or mandate that to say bigger cities more densely populated countries and things like that but without a doubt I mean you certainly are seeing that I mean you know when I go out now the amount of Tesla's and Nissan Leafs and other electric cars that you see you see them all the time but and they increase each and every year but the other thing is too. I mean, I can go out anytime now. And while I'm just driving a, a, what I call a normal car, a V6, <laughs> and, uh, I, but I sit at the lights, of course, I'm going to see a Tesla, but I see a lot of hybrid uh, cars and uh, powered cars. And I, I think that is, you know, 
I think that to me that makes a real sense for for Formula One uh, to, to to stick with that uh, from for the time being. I mean, these one and a half liter V six turbo hybrid eras, which they introduced back in twenty fourteen, are without a doubt engineering marvels. I mean, they are absolutely fantastic uh, pieces of uh, technology. And while one day I don't doubt uh, that we will all be driving, uh, you know, electric cars or you know flying cars, you know, like the Jetsons, I suppose. Like, well, maybe one of these days. Maybe Maybe not in my lifetime, but I suppose that is the way that uh, that that the technology is going to go. I mean, I, I guess the big thing, of course, is uh, the the recent decision of uh, Honda to pull out of uh, Formula Formula One at the end of next year really kind of kickstarted the 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 need that they had to to look at uh, maybe some more uh, radical ideas like uh, electric or hydrogen engines when it when it comes to the new uh, engine rules. But uh, they, they've uh, you know they've kind of pulled back that from away or for, from that uh, side a little bit. And instead of they're, they're kind of doubling down uh, that they believe that uh, a new generation of uh, of hybrid engines is the right way for for Formula One to go. Because, I mean, by the time we get to 2026, we'll have already had uh, these V6 turbo hybrid engines uh, for, what, uh, a dozen years at, uh, at at this point. And, uh, it, you know, I've, I've told this story a couple of times on the podcast uh, before. When I went to the Spanish Grand Prix in 2014, that was the first time I'd been into the race in a number of years. But of course, in, in person, and of course, the first thing uh, I was uh, I, I, I made sure I had when I showed up on uh, Friday at uh, at Barcelona to, was to make sure I had my uh, my, my earplugs. But uh, even going back to the, the the very first race of the year, we got to Melbourne in 2014. I remember sitting down to watch uh, qualify. I'm like, geez, these cars seem really quiet, but maybe it's just uh, TV. And of course, you know, we've all gotten used to it uh, over the years. And uh, but the thing is that even though it's really decreased on the decibel side and the loudness and you know the, the the cool noise that we've always liked about uh, formula 1 cars I mean, it hasn't uh, led to any uh, you know decrease in power. I mean, the, these cars get faster and faster all the time. And well, I mean, it's a combination of the engine and the aerodynamics and everything like that. I mean, it's not just the engine alone, but it is really, really uh, amazing. So it does uh, it does make sense that they want to stick with this uh, for for the uh, for, for the time being. And uh, Formula One uh, released a statement, and uh, they wanted to uh, well, they 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 went into a little bit more detail about sustainability and uh, things like that. Anyways, I'll just read a couple of uh, interesting uh, quotes from the statement uh, where they said, uh, quote, it is important uh, that the most visual part of our sport is sustainable and can have real world world benefits. We believe that with over 1 billion of the 1.1 billion vehicles in the world powered by internal combustion engines, we have the potential to lead the way in technologies that reduce automotive carbon emissions globally. We also believe that there is not a single solution to the engine technologies of the future, but that a sustainably fuel hybrid engine will be a significant moment for the sport and the automotive sector. Uh, end quote. Anyways, uh, so what they've done, uh, they, they've set up uh, a working group of Formula One and FAA uh, personnel to look into the future of engine technology uh, based around uh, sustainable fuels. Uh, so the statement went on to say, quote, this group will be extend, uh, expanded to include specialists from the OEMs and energy suppliers, as well as seeking expertise from independent research uh, groups, end quote. So there you go. Um, it, it is... Uh, 
I think it makes sense for Formula One at the, the, this point. And I don't want to knock uh, Formula E. I mean, it is clearly uh, electric cars are here. They're here to stay. And w- the way that the Formula E cars have uh, come and they've developed and uh, you see the different uh, generations of the cars in, in the short time that that's, uh, you know, that that Formula series has been around. It's really impressive what they're doing, no doubt about it. Uh, but, I mean, I, I guess at some point Formula One is going to face that uh, that that issue. It's like, do they completely move away from uh, uh, internal combustion engines, regardless if they're hybrid or not? At some point, they're going to be faced with that uh, decision, and I think that's going to be a question of uh, of when and uh, and not if. But I mean, obviously, uh, Formula One has looked into it, and they think at least in the short term, uh, coming up to, to twenty. 2026 uh, that uh, that that is right for them to renew this uh, that this turbo hybrid or sorry these the, these hybrid uh, engines and it's going to be fascinating to see what they come up with uh, you know what these uh, new uh, engine regs are going to uh, you know look like I mean I'm really excited to see what the new cars are going to look like in 2022 but uh, you know I also uh, you know get kind of excited to to see where this uh, new era of uh, Formula One engine technology is going to go. So certainly that's going to be one we need to uh, take a look at and keep our eyes on over the, uh, the the months and years ahead of us. Okay, well, just uh, looking ahead now, um, just to, to, to next season. So the, the Australian Grand Prix, the, the race organizers are working towards having people back in attendance for the, the Grand Prix um, that uh, is uh, scheduled for March in, in 2021. So of course, without getting into to too much detail, it was called off, uh, you know, this, this past year because, uh, it was basically when the, the, the first wave of COVID was really kind of, uh, hitting the, the, the Western countries. I mean, everybody showed up in Melbourne for the race, the media, the fans, the teams, everybody was there for ready to get to, you know, get, get going. And then, of course, the world changed, and it hasn't been uh, the, the the same since, right? Anyways, uh, you know, there, there, there there's we we've seen some people in attendance at races uh, sporadically uh, throughout the year. We didn't see any in Emla a couple of weeks ago. COVID's going to be here for a, for a long time, even after reliable and effective treatments and vaccines come out. It's going to be one of these things that uh, it might be greatly reduced, but it's going to be sticking here for for a long time. But I mean, the the thing is, in Australia, they've done pretty good. Um, but uh, they, in other parts or parts of uh, Australia, they're letting crowds of tens of thousands of people into stadiums uh, for for different uh, different sports and things like that. And uh, the uh, you know the, the the race organizers are working with uh, with health officials and the local government in uh, the state of Victoria to find out what is uh, practical and feasible for the um, for for the race uh, next year. Anyways, uh, the the CEO of uh, the the race organizers, um, uh, Andrew West uh, Westacott, had to say, "quote We are thrilled that the 2021 FAA Formula One World Championship will commence at its traditional home here in Melbourne. We continue to work closely with health authorities and the Victorian government as we develop our plans for fan attendance, which will be announced when finalized. We're adopting a sensible, adaptable, and flexible approach, ensuring that a safe environment." for our fans and participants is our top priority. Our massive parkland venue with 10.6 kilometers of track frontage provides us with the perfect opportunity to create a COVID safe venue, end quote. So we'll wait and see what, uh, you know, how that uh, actually plays out, but just kind of, uh, you know, reading between the lines there and some, you know, just looking at uh, what what they're doing with other, uh, you know, big events in Australia right now. 
I think that, uh, you know, we could see a sizable crowd there if, you know, th- you know, depending obviously what happens with the situation uh, w- with COVID, uh, obviously not just in uh, Australia, but other places, because people will travel, you know, given that opportunity to, to, to go there, people will go. I mean, uh, if, if things were okay right now, heck, I'd love to go and uh, get on a plane. I mean, uh, like many of you, I mean, I've been stuck close to home or at home for too long this year and uh, i think we're all getting eager to try and get out of this and uh, and get back to some sort of normal but we'll wait and see but uh, just like i say reading between those lines i would expect to see a fairly sizable crowd there Anyway, so so just uh, looking at the the, the Formula One uh, calendar has been uh, released uh, for for next year. So we're we're looking right now at a twenty three race season. Uh, so there, there's one race that is up in the air, and that's April twenty fifth, uh, the Vietnamese uh, Grand Prix in Hanoi, which was going to be uh, run this year for the first time, but was canceled because it was one of the uh, early rounds uh, in the uh, in the championship uh, this year, but uh, was was cut, not rescheduled because of a COVID. That's off, and that's. Uh, uh, that's disappointing. Uh, you know the 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 stories coming out. It's more internal politics rather than uh, than, than anything else. So that's kind of uh, up in the air right now. So what we're looking at is uh, starting at uh, in Australia March twenty first, twenty twenty one. Then going to Bahrain and China, which is uh, pretty much what we see each and every year. Like I say, the 25th of uh, April is uh, is open. Then we go to Spain, Monaco, Azerbaijan, Canada, France, Austria, Britain, and Hungary for the first half of the season. That's pretty much uh, the, the, the same as we see. Uh, summer break uh, will be at the beginning of August. Uh, the Hungaro Ring is uh, set for August 1st. And then we go to Spa, Zandvoort in Holland, Italy, Russia, Singapore, Japan, USA, Mexico, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, and uh, Abu Dhabi. So, you know, what, what with having um, uh, Holland, which was going to be uh, back on the schedule this year, uh, in, in the first uh, third of the season, I think it was supposed to come right after Canada, if I remember correctly. So was going to be about June. So um, they did ask to be pushed back later in the year because they felt uh, that in 2021, if they went uh, later, that uh, that might be a workout better in terms of, uh, you know, the of, of the of the COVID situation, because it's going to be the first uh, race in Holland at Zandvoort since what, 1984, 1985, something like that. And of course, you got Max Mania in Holland. So they want to get as many orange-clad Dutchman into uh, into Zandvoort because, I mean, that's going to be a party atmosphere. And, I mean, Max is going to get about 100 extra horsepower for that race just from the fans uh, alone. So they wanted to be pushed back. But, I mean, it's it's, it's pretty much your standard uh, schedule uh, other than, uh, you know, at the end, uh, you've got this new night race at, uh, at Jeddah in Saudi Arabia at the end of uh, November. And then you get that pushes back uh, Abu Dhabi, a Yas Marina circuit uh, to the, the weekend of uh, December 20, or sorry, December 5th, 2021. So interesting. Uh, I, I mean, it's uh, we'll, we'll see what uh, what what happens. I mean, otherwise we're going to get uh, you know. Hopefully they can fill something out there in that uh, that open weekend between China and and Barcelona. Otherwise, I mean, you know, if we got to go, we're racing at uh, at Shanghai on uh, the weekend of April 11th, and they don't fill that slot on uh, April 25th, then you're going to have a big break between Shanghai and Barcelona on on May 9th. But I mean, what we've seen uh, this year, I mean, there are plenty of contenders, Nürburgring, uh, Portimao, uh, Mugello. Imola, I mean, you know, take your pick. I mean, Turkey uh, the, the, this weekend. 
Uh, and I would hope that uh, it, you know, just based on what we've seen this year, being able to cobble and and, and scrounge a Formula One uh, World Championship season together in uh, you know in in unprecedented and uncharted uh, territory like we've been in uh, since uh, you know the, the early this year, that they would be able to get uh, something sorted out. So I'm I'm expecting that uh, that weekend will be filled at some point, but the big question is uh, when and well not when but uh, who and where. So uh, definitely. Uh, very cool to see that uh, you know getting uh, sorted out. So glad to see a lot of these ones there, but uh, disappointing that we don't see a German Grand Prix on there. I mean, uh, nothing at this moment uh, at uh, at Hockenheim or at uh, at the Nurburgring. And to me, uh, not having a, a Grand Prix in Germany uh, just uh, seems. Um, it doesn't seem right. I mean, uh, we saw the French Grand Prix disappear for a good number of years. And uh, of course, uh, we're back uh, at Paul Ricard uh, next year at the uh, the end of June, weekend of uh, June 27th. But uh, for me, I mean, uh, Formula One isn't the same without uh, a French Grand Prix either. I mean, it wouldn't be the same without uh, Japan or Brazil, places like that. So... Interesting uh, to, to see, and I suppose that uh, this still needs to be uh, ratified uh, by the uh, uh, by the uh, the World Motorsport uh, Council. But that's what we're looking at: twenty three races in uh, in twenty twenty one. And I suppose that uh, even if COVID is still uh, a thing at that point, that uh, we still will be able to get this done because if we can get it done this year, 17 races, there's no reason why with uh, enough planning it uh, can't be done for next year as uh, as well. All right, uh, time for another break here on the Overtime Media Network. Please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Just uh, a couple other, um, uh, just uh, housekeeping items uh, before I get to, to some of the news coming up uh, for the, uh, the 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 weekend ahead at uh, at the uh, Intercity Istanbul Park for the the Turkish Grand Prix. So Formula One is set for a single three day preseason test in 2021, and so uh, basically, uh, what's going to happen is uh, they're going to reduce. The, uh, the the this uh, preseason testing to just uh, three days um, from uh, for for testing and well sadly if this goes ahead it won't be at uh, Barcelona that uh, has been the traditional place at Circuit de Barcelona Catalunya uh, that's been the traditional testing uh, home for winter testing uh, for many years now and uh, they might go to the Middle East to, to Bahrain in uh, instead so I mean uh, they have not had uh, preseason testing or testing there since uh, 2014. Uh, and uh, that year they were the third and final test venue both before the uh, you know the you know the the season the inaugural season with the V6 uh, turbo hybrid uh, units were gone. So anyways, uh, we will see uh, what's uh, what's happening uh, with that uh, but uh, could very much uh, be a thing. So the W series uh, has ex- uh, secured eight Formula 1 support slots uh, for for 2021 and I think that's uh, pretty cool to to see because uh, you know uh, uh, Formula 1 uh, this year what uh, with uh, what we've seen with uh, you know just uh, in communities and around the world just this uh, whole uh, discussion with uh, with racism and inclusivity and things like that and this whole we race is one that seems uh, a very uh, you know uh, you know proper things uh, to to do. So I'm glad to see that uh, W Series eight uh, support slots uh, for Formula events uh, next year. So the W Series CEO Catherine Bon Muir had to say, "quote After such a successful inaugural season in 2019, we at W Series are absolutely delighted to be partnering with Formula One for 2021 and beyond." Formula One is by some margin the world's premier motorsport series, and when we promised uh, that W Series would be bigger and better in the future, partnering with Formula One was always the ultimate objective. There is no doubt that now the W Series will be run alongside 
in collaboration with Formula One, our global reach, impact, and influence will be increased significantly. Everything that made W Series so popular and successful in 2019 will remain. The cars will be identical. The racing will be close and competitive. And our mission will always be to further the interests and prospects of female racing drivers. We want W Series to entertain and entertain it will. End quote. So there you go. Very cool. Glad to see that uh, going. And uh, eight support, uh, support slots for W Series next season. So um, one story that was going around a couple of, uh, no, I guess a couple of months ago now was uh, perhaps a new home. Uh, for a uh, Formula One race in uh, Rio de Janeiro. Um, that still seems like it's on the books, but uh, Sao Paulo, the, the home of Interlagos, is uh, going to keep the, the Brazilian Grand Prix there at least until 2025 uh, with uh, the race officials and local officials uh, officials in Sao Paulo saying on Thursday this week that they're going to sign a new deal with, uh, with Formula One to keep the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos for a number of years yet. So it uh, seems like like a good idea. I mean, the big thing, of course, uh, was uh, the, the, the fact that to, to build this new track in Rio, uh, that they'd have to uh, cut down, there'd have to be a lot of uh, clearing and cutting of trees and things like that. So that sparked a bit of a debate. So that uh, sounds like uh, if it's going to happen, it's going to take, uh, you know, take a while to get that uh, all sorted out and uh, and done. Anyways, uh, t- talking about some of the, uh, the action on the track now, uh, Lance Stroll says that uh, he felt uh, he was as safe as he could be when he cla- passed very close to uh, two track marshals uh, at uh, Imola, but uh, he says that the incident uh, must be uh, addressed and 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 dealt with. Um, anyway, so so he was asked about this uh, incident at uh, at the uh, from from Imola just uh, before the the Turkish Grand Prix and the media day there, and so uh, Lance explained that uh, he had not been informed that the marshals were actually on the side of the track, but he backed off as, uh, as soon as he could uh, to to keep it safe. So I mean, backing off, he was still probably passing these two guys, these two track marshals. At a, at a very high rate of uh, speed. Anyways, uh, Lance had to be uh, had to say, "quote I hadn't been warned of them. No, I was given the message that lap cars were allowed to overtake the safety car and catch the back of the train, so I followed those instructions. I saw the marshal on the track, of course, and immediately lifted off and backed off, and was safe as I could be in that section of the track. But I wasn't warned, and I wasn't expecting to see anyone on the track once I got the message that I was allowed to overtake the safety car and to catch the back of the train. Thankfully, there was nothing bad that happened there." But for sure, we'll have to address it and make sure something like that doesn't happen again, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, that that is always uh, safety has to be uh, absolutely uh, paramount and uh, number one. Uh, and and Sebastian Vettel actually said that uh, he thinks it's what in his own words is uh, quote embarrassed uh, embarrassing that uh, Formula One uh, drivers have to unlap themselves under the safety car and but the FIA went on to say that uh, they, they they say that there's an actual reason why they have to have this uh, procedure. Uh, anyways, Seb had to say the following quote, I think we should probably fo- focus more on the solution. And I think that the reason we are physically unlapping ourselves is because we can't work out a software that it actually just resets us. So we have to do the extra laps, which sounds quite embarrassing, but it's what I believe is the truth. So I guess going forward, we should probably just put some effort into the software that the lap cars are not forced to have actually physically unlap themselves, but you can just reset the lap on screen and put them in the place that they are. So I think that would be the solution. Obviously, as a consequence you had in the past people trying to catch the field also in another uh, other categories crashing and then it can't be safe under the full course yellow to go out and crash plus you've seen or witnessed in Imola people working on the side of the track trying to do a favor for us recovering the car that was stranded there cleaning the track 
I think uh, they work in the contrary, these two things, and we should just focus on the solution, which I believe is purely software related. And given that it's 2020, I think it should be possible, end quote. Anyways, uh, so an FAA spokesman uh, actually said that the timing system doesn't actually have the ability to uh, credit the driver for a lap that they haven't run. And uh, then actually went on to clarify that uh, such a requirement uh, was uh, has never actually been asked or, uh, you know, stipulated. So, um, uh, so they, they actually say that, uh, physically unlapping the cars is actually more of a, you know, more of the, the reason and minimizes the possibility of, uh, somebody, uh, gaining an unfair, uh, advantage. So, uh, there you go. But I definitely agree that given that the year is 2020 and, uh, since we allegedly put men on the moon way back in 1969, that Sebastian Vettel is right. <laughs> if they, you know, why can't they do it software wise? That uh, that uh, the cars can be uh, unlapped that way, and they don't uh, gain an unfair advantage. Um, just uh, sticking with a, a little bit more of the, uh, the 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 fallout, if you want to call it that, uh, from uh, from Imola a couple of weeks ago. George Russell says he has no plans to change his approach, uh, despite uh, crashing behind the safety car, which was uh, obviously a big embarrassment uh, for for him. Anyways, uh, George had the following to say, quote, following that mistake, it gave me a bit of time to think about the racing approach. I think racing sometimes rewards risk takers, but also sometimes rewards the more cautious approach. Last week, and most likely I would have come away with a result had I taken the more cautious approach. But then it made me think, where do you draw the line? Do you be more cautious on your quality lap? Do you be cautious with your setup? Do you be more cautious with the pit stop? We're all racers. We're all here, obviously, to push the boundaries. And doing that, mistakes will come along. It also made me think, should we fear mistakes? And I don't think we should. That is what I said to them uh, in the letter. Do I regret what happened? Absolutely. But it will change my approach this weekend to, to moving forward. No, it won't. We are all here to push boundaries because we're all racers. And is what we do when we go racing, end quote. So there you go. I think that uh, George, uh, for a young guy, I think that's a, a very collected and a very mature sentiment uh, to, to have. Anyways, uh, Sergio Perez, yes, remember him. Yeah, he's out of a, a seat at the end of the year. Uh, Sergio very much uh, prepared to, to take a year out of uh, Formula One and not race in 2021 if he cannot uh, find a, a suitable option uh, to stay in uh stay with the team for for next year so i mean there there are some options out there i mean his name has been thrown out a couple of times but uh, obviously what uh, sebastian vettel going to racing point slash aston martin next year to partner up with lance stroll that um that you know he's replacing sergio who's been there for for quite a long time and uh has made that uh, a little bit uh difficult uh for him okay so just uh looking ahead now to the the, the weekend ahead uh team principal ferrari team principal that is uh Mattia Bonato is not going to be on the pit wall in uh, Istanbul this uh, weekend and is actually going to be helping to run the team uh, from uh, their headquarters back in uh, Maranello. And uh, he actually said uh, not so long ago he planned to miss one or some of the remaining races in uh, this season to see how if it's actually practical or feasible to manage the team uh, remotely. So that's uh, I guess that's a very 2020 thing of uh, Mattia to do with uh, so many people doing the work from home thing uh, nowadays or working remotely at least part-time 
it is uh, it's interesting, but obviously Formula One being a very hands-on sport is going to re- require people to be there in the garage, to be there in the car and to support the teams and the drivers and, you know, do things like hospitality, for example, once we're allowed to congregate again. So, of course, it's something they need to look into. And I can see that uh, there, there would be benefits for, for a team principal, I mean, uh, you know, to, to be able to stay back at headquarters. I mean, Total Wolf uh, has said... Uh, uh, you know, over the you know a uh, couple of times uh, recent uh, recently, how he would like to step back and uh, not be able to uh, or have to attend every race. So I mean, I can see you know, especially when you have twenty plus races a year. I mean, that's a lot of time on the road uh, compared to a much uh, you know less demanding um, you know time of uh, being able to basically sleep in your own bed uh, you know each and every night over the course of a race weekend and just focus on the time at uh, hand. And I could see it being more productive as well. I mean, if uh, you're going from Italy to Australia or to China or to North America or whatever it is, you're going to lose a substantial amount of time traveling to and from each one of those races. And uh, that time spent uh, traveling, you could obviously get uh, a lot more uh, productive work hours in, uh, you know, in the office rather being, uh, you know, in an aircraft, being in transit, uh, sitting in an airport and all those fun things <laughs> that happen when you're trying to get uh, from from A to B uh, traveling. Anyways, acting uh, Williams uh, team principal uh, uh, Simon Roberts, pardon me, is uh, going to miss the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend uh, after he tested positive uh, for COVID-19. Uh, anyways, uh, Williams announced on Wednesday evening that Roberts had uh, been retested uh, earlier that uh, day after showing minor symptoms uh, for COVID. And uh, this uh, comes in the wake of actually uh, producing a negative uh, COVID test on Monday of this uh, week. Anyways, uh, the team confirmed that um, uh, uh, that despite uh, Roberts uh, having uh, some uh, COVID-like uh, symptoms, he's otherwise in good health and good spirits. But obviously, uh, he's not going to to be able to uh, to, uh, to 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 travel. Anyways, uh, the, the team said in a statement uh, that Simon Roberts had not been in close contact with any other members of the race team, and uh, will uh, that the team is uh, going to continue to operate trackside at uh, the Turkish Grand Prix as they, they planned, and uh, they've been uh, taking part in the, the robust, what they call a robust uh, testing plan along, uh, you know, alongside uh, adhering, adhering to the, uh, you know, the strict COVID guidelines that uh, were, were laid down, uh, you know, earlier this year. And we said, just talking now specifically about uh, the, the race ahead, uh, Max Verstappen uh, said that he would rather that his head fall off through turn eight, or otherwise known as diabolica, a little nod to uh, parabolica, at, uh, <laughs> but more ominous, uh, obviously. Um, so he said he'd rather have his head fall off through turn eight uh, at Istanbul rather than wearing neck padding for the the, the brutal forces that uh, you know the 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 drivers are going to face in terms of G's going through that quadruple apex to corner. I mean, it is uh, you know it's absolutely awesome. Really looking uh, looking forward to see that. Anyways, it it adds or it works out to be about four to five G's of load, which is the equivalent of the, the drivers having 45 to 50 kilos on their neck, which they have to, uh, you know, try and sustain for, for six seconds as they go through that, uh, that, that very big uh, corner. So that's going to be very uh, physically, uh, you know, demanding. Anyways, um, some of the, the, the drivers said uh, they, they have the option of putting some extra padding into the cockpit to, to help uh, rest their neck. But uh, Max said that uh, is just not an option and he's not going to 
consider under any circumstances. And uh, he says that, uh, you know, part of it is that he got a lot of, uh, you know, his, his dad, Yoss, uh, another, uh, you know, uh, obviously a former Formula One driver, uh, really gave him the, the the gears after he used uh, you know some uh, some padding in his first F three tests, and he says he doesn't want to um, you know <laughs> have to face that from his dad uh, uh, you know uh, at any time in the, in the future. Anyways, uh, Max had to say, "quote I remember my very first F three test that I did. After one day, I couldn't hold my neck straight, uh, and then I had to put the padding in. And my dad was laughing at me for using that. Since that day, I refused to put padding next to my head. I prefer that my head falls off than run with padding. So it will be the same also this." weekend end quote so there you go max is going to tough it out through turn eight uh finally uh danny ricardo says that um, uh, renault has uh, learned lessons from portimao which are really going to help them in uh, turkey this uh, this weekend uh anyways uh, when it was asked about uh, you know how they studied the data and how they could have taken a bit of a uh, different approach on the setup at uh, the portuguese uh, grand prix a couple of uh, weekends ago he uh danny ricardo said that the uh, you know that this data could help the uh, you know help them uh, uh, you know, have an advantage uh, this weekend. Anyways, yeah, the Australian had to say, quote, whether it's the same or slightly different, I think there will be some similarities. When we left Portimao and digested it the following 72 hours after that weekend, there were some things we looked back on and said, yeah, we'll do that differently. If we had another chance, we'll change this. So we're taking this weekend as probably that chance to, uh, to fix maybe a few little things that we did differently. And whether it turns out to be the same time will tell, but I think we'll be coming in with a bit more optimism a few weeks ago, end quote. So there you go. I mean, it's been a challenging, uh, you know, a season for for everyone. I mean, uh, there, there's been some tracks that uh, we've uh, been to that we haven't been to for a very, very long time, or you know, in some cases we haven't been to at all uh, before. So I mean, uh, it it is been, been a real challenge. But I mean, obviously they see a lot of uh, similarities uh, between Istanbul and Portimao. Or Renault do that uh, that that way because I mean they've been competitive in uh, you know over the past uh, you know several races, but uh, in Portimao they weren't quite uh, as competitive and uh so we'll have to like uh, like danny rick says we'll have to take a look and see in a couple of days what happens uh you know over the course of this weekend and whether or not uh, renault took those lessons from the from the portuguese uh, grand prix and applied them and learned from them and uh, gained an advantage from them so quickly just uh, before we go here just uh, want to give you the rundown on the track it uh, itself so the uh, the intercity istanbul park is uh is 3.3 miles long or 5.33 kilometers 14 turns. The uh, the race lap record was set by Juan Pablo Montoya in a McLaren Mercedes way back in 2005, and that was a 124.770. So, I mean, it's been a good number of years since we've been there. I haven't been to uh, uh, Istanbul since 2011. First race uh, was way back there in 2005, and just uh, for fun, because it's not going to be uh, too difficult to, to, to do so, Kimi Raikkonen won the inaugural Turkish Grand Prix in uh, McLaren Mercedes way back in 2005. Uh, Felipe Massa is the most winningest driver in uh, in Turkey. He won it three times in a row from 2006 to 2008, driving a Ferrari. Button won there in 2009 uh, in that memorable uh, season that uh, we saw with Braun. Lewis Hamilton won there in uh, McLaren, uh, driving McLaren Mercedes in 2010. And the most recent winner was uh, number five himself, Sebastian Vettel, won there in, uh, in 2011, and he was driving a Red Bull uh, that year, 
of course. And if you go back and look at uh, the the very last race that uh, that we had in Turkey, uh, on pole position was uh, Sebastian Vettel in his Red Bull, and he set a time of a one twenty five point oh four nine. And the podium back in twenty eleven was uh, Vettel, his teammate uh, Mark Webber, and then Fernando Alonso third place in uh, the the Ferrari. The fastest lap of the the, the race, the 2011 Turkish Grand Prix, was set by uh, Mark Webber in the Red Bull Renault. And uh, Webber's fastest lap that year was a 129.703. So there you go. Be interesting to see how that uh, that turns out on uh, Sunday afternoon. So there you go. That's all I've got uh, for, for this week. It's starting to get late here in the uh, in the studio, so I'm going to wrap it up. It's been great to talk to Formula One. Thank you guys so very, very much for downloading and listening to the show. We've got some big uh, changes coming over the next uh, little while here. Can't wait to share that uh, with you guys. Very excited about what's uh, coming for the program. And until then, love to hear all the messages and all the tweets uh, and emails that I get from you guys. So please keep it up. And uh, by all means, please uh, send me a tweet at f one pod And if you want to get in touch via the email, please do so at f one pod at gmail.com. Like I say, that's a wrap. Enjoy the Turkish Grand Prix. I'll be back on Sunday night to wrap that one up. And we'll talk to you guys then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.